tech is such a such a broad thing, you know, from products to services to you know software, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I kind of started like diving deep into multiple different things. I think even when I saw Apple Music for the first time, I was like, holy shit! When I saw Spotify for the first time in like 2014 or 2013, I think I was like, these these are really good and dope platforms for for artists. And then I started to realize the importance of you know building platforms for people to kind of um, uh, whether it be distribute their work or express themselves etc etc hello and welcome to another episode of the edit undo podcast today we have an mvp guest <laughs> oh oh my word i'm so excited for today um you know after a, very, a couple of years knowing each other you know talking about podcasts talking about creating content um living together for a good long while the time has finally come to have the one, the only, Chaz done on the podcast. Um, Chaz <clears throat> wears many hats, very much like myself. I think that's one of the things that really brought us together. Um, but a few of the things that he does, he is an entrepreneur. He is a, um, a director in the film and television space, and he is an all, all-round OG in the realm of music. So. I'm not going to go into any more of it than that. I'm going to let Chaz do that for us today because we've got a very, very interesting story to share. But first of all, Chaz, welcome to the show. Thank hey. you so much for having me. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you so much. I just want to start, Alfie. What, is, what does MVP guest mean? Minimal viable podcast guest. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you know, this is... This is <laughs> This is the funny thing about this, the two lives that I live. It's, it's, it's so hilarious. When we started this, I was like, it's like my two partners in crime are coming together. And it's kind of like the two the two worlds that I live in are also coming together. MVP is our most valuable player, by the way, <laughs> from basketball. <laughs> so the funny thing is MVP stands for minimum viable product in design and yeah. product and all of that. So of course. <laughs> so which is probably begins. a lot of people yeah <laughs> yeah dude, i'm your minimal minimal viable product guest today it's actually quite accurate i yeah, guess <laughs> now that you know now that we've got it off to a very smooth start um <laughs> Let's let's maybe start with let's start with how you and I met. We're gonna go all the way back to the origins, but maybe that's a a, a cool place to start. I don't know if you remember. Cool. Um, I do remember, bro. I do remember. Um, I was working at uh, I I no actually I wasn't working at King James at the time. Um, one of our mutual friends, um, his name is Jagulani. He was working at King James at the time, and mm. um. I was always in and out of King James, just like as a you know visitor, you know Friday Friday afternoon drinks, just catch up with everyone, you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, I remember there was one day um, there was someone at the agency who I think was leaving, or it was her birthday, if I'm not mistaken. Her name was uh, Shiv, mm. and um, she had a party at her place in Westine, and that's when I met you for the first time. And it was so oh, crazy Christ. that like so. Yeah, so Alfie and I were like chilling for a bit. And then I think it was either me or you asked, well, either one of us were like, yo, do you know Gary V? 
And um, that's when we just kind of like hit it off. We hit it off like off the bat because him and I at that it's time hilarious. were massively obsessed with Gary V. Um, Which is? Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> Oh my word! You know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. <laughs> I'm starting to reconsider whether Steph, we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, so I just remember you and I just kind of hit it off from there, and um, mm. yeah, and then I eventually started working at King James while you were still at King James, and um, yeah. that's when I think where where we started hanging out a lot more, and then mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, then we kind of just progressed to like a really great friendship. And um, yeah. I remember just being at his place quite often. We used to have this thing called the bench sessions where we'd sit on this bench in his like front yard and um, we would like, there wasn't much of a view, but there was just one building that stuck out from your wall. Um, that we just kind of watch and just, um, just talk about just random things, how we're feeling, um, what our moves are, uh, uh, how's life, um, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, man, like that's, that's pretty much how we met. And then we ended up moving in together, which was crazy. Um, that was in like 2019 or beginning of 2019, I think it was. Yeah. Mm. What um, were you doing at Kim James at that time? Um, so I was like interning there just for a few months. It's so funny because yeah, um, I was a, I interned as a copywriter to kind of begin mm-hmm. with, and um, so when I got there, there was also a bunch of other different companies that also moved into the same building. And um, I think King James at the time had just moved into that new into that new building, and then there was a bunch of other companies that also came in. And so I was kind of like interning as a copywriter at King James. And then, um, yeah, after like a few months, uh, I I was hanging out a lot with um, a music group called Ganja Beats. They were also they also moved into the building at the same time, and I found myself in their in their in their studio more than I was at my desk copywriting. <laughs> um, which was crazy. I think I just naturally just gravitated towards that scene and mm. those like, you know, um, um, that kind of vibe because prior to that, I was already pretty much very much involved in the music space, not necessarily in the mm. mainstream industry, but just like starting our own group with a couple of friends. We call ourselves Music mm. Indeed at the time. And um, so naturally, like Ganji Beats and I, we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot to connect yeah. about. And um, so, yeah, after like, I think it was like four four months of interning at King James. I kind of just jumped ship. I went to my, <laughs> I went to my, um, I, I don't know what you call them, but like he was like my, I don't know, creative leader, director. creative director. Sorry, yeah. Um, I kind of went to him and I was like, "Yo, bro, I'm going to Ganja Beats," and he was like, "What? Go." <laughs> Do you, bro? <laughs> you mean for lunch or forever? <laughs> no, yeah, do forever, bro. Like, um, yeah. So yeah, that was. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's basically how Alfie and I met. Was was was, was that so, was that King James? I think this this is maybe a, a good place to to diverge in the conversation because in some ways, <clears throat> when you meet a group like Ganja Beats, a group that does a lot of work and a lot of, in a sense, like you know, nationally acclaimed work you sort of need to bring something to the table. Not necessarily that the relationship is transactional, but in a sense, each person is around the table for a reason. And I think one of the things that you really brought to the table there was your understanding of of content and your understanding of how to actually tell the story. And maybe that brings us to the beginning. You know, before before you started King James, before you and I met, there was was a whole story before that. Um, And so can you tell us actually a little bit about that story? I want to leave the the, the control in your hands. Like you can okay, start, cool. as, start as far back as you'd like. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about that. 
Cool. So um, I guess there's a lot to kind of like dive into. So mm. fresh out of matric, uh, I I wanted to be be an actor basically, and like that was my kind of um, hustle, and that was like kind of where my passion lied, right? Um, at the time, uh, my mom, my sisters, and my grandparents had all moved back to England because that's where my mom and my grandparents originally from. Um, so they had left just before I matriculated. So I was kind of like in Joburg for a little bit. And then the following January, I had essentially um, gone to England. Um, I basically enrolled in like an, a, a, um, a performing arts course um, in, in Leeds, in North England. And um, kind of working part-time as well. So that was an interesting time. Like um, I was chasing the acting dream as well as working two part-time jobs at the same time. Um, mm. And um, that was all to kind of like pave my way to um, Los Angeles. There was a, an opportunity that kind of came up. And um, I went down to London to meet this group of people from L.A., and um, they had basically advertised like a uh, an acting training school in Los Angeles that I could go and enroll in, right? So I basically picked up like two jobs while I was studying just to kind of pay my way to that. And um, so, yeah, just like chasing the acting dream that led me to Los Angeles, which was probably the most life-changing part of my life. I think um, mm. I learned so much about myself, about the world, about um, just bigger picture, you know, bigger picture visions, you know. And um, while I was there, I kind of realized that, you know, I really, really enjoyed acting. But um, it, it, it's, a, it's a different kind of place to, <laughs> to realize how good you are. You know, like when you're in L.A., mm. you know, you're in, you know, the melting pot of, you know, the top actors in the world. Like mm. when you go to the movies in L.A. and you watch a movie, you're like, these guys shot this around the corner from here, you know. Um, yeah. And like that kind of puts into perspective how good you are. You know, mm. so essentially I realized, OK, cool. I really enjoy the acting stuff. I may not be as great as I want to be right now. And I think that's when I also started to like deviate a little bit into the whole directing thing, um, mm. which over the past few years, I realized that I enjoy directing a lot more than I did acting. I loved acting and, and I still do, you know, but um, I think um, directing was really uh, a part of, you know, my like my journey. And um, I really you know, dive deep into, you know, that kind of space. Um, mm -hmm. From LA, I had the choice to move back to England or come back to South Africa. And um, I kind of just made the choice to come back to South Africa. I just thought it would probably just be the, the best place for me to be as comfortable as possible and, and just continue learning, et cetera, et cetera. So even while I was in LA, a lot of our tutors encouraged us to go back to where, like, <laughs> where we came from, like our home country, whatever you want to call it, right? And then um, build up credits. And then once you have the credits and then you come back to LA, things become a lot easier once you have um, credits like, you know, IMDB credits. So get get TV gigs, yeah. get film experience, gigs, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Experience, yeah. So obviously when you're in LA, those kind of gigs are much harder to come by. But when you go back yeah. home, they'll be a little bit easier. So um, I yeah. So um, I moved back to South Africa just because I thought it would be a little bit easier for me just to kind of get that experience and get those credits that I needed. Um, and when I came back, I had no intentions on doing a degree in any way. But my dad at the time kind of just pressured me to get into a degree, um, which I was incredibly grateful for in the end. Um, I was a bit reluctant in the beginning. Um, and then, yeah, that's when I really dived deep into acting and directing pretty much at the same intensity for both. 
So, mm-hmm. um, so even though I was doing an acting degree, I was still directing music videos, you know, um, in my spare time while I was at AFTA. Mm. Um, and still that, like writing scripts, I was still, you know, like planning storyboards and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And, I'm curious, um, uh, quickly before you continue, you know, yeah. you, you've had now experience in the acting industry or the film industry in the UK, in uh, the States, as well as in South Africa. What your, what's your take on like the, the key differences you felt about either the culture or the industry or the approach to get the entry into the industry in those countries? Mm. It's so interesting you, you bring that up. Firstly, like, each one of those places, South Africa, England, and, and LA, is its own beast. And I think um, that's also what, you know, like while I was in England, there's a certain way that they do things and there's a certain type of humor. There's a certain type of, you know, um, mm. I don't know, like there's a certain type of, um, I don't know, like it's, it's a certain vibe. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, then when you go to LA... <laughs> then when you go to LA, um, you know, so like, w- like within the England space, I was very, I was very comfortable. Um, obviously like mm-hmm. I've, I've like, um, um, my, my family's originally from there. I'd never been there before. Um, mm-hmm. I think when I was like six months or something, but then properly living there, experiencing that place, you know, mm-hmm. um, going to the States, you know, was a big eye opener. I think the hustle in that city is unlike something I've ever felt before. Um, sure. You know, when you, when you're literally in a city where, you know, I think the population of LA is about 10 million people and um, three or 4 million of those people are trying to be actors, models, all the directors, producers, writers, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, um, and it's incredibly competitive, you know? So if anything, LA really opened my mind to, so England, I was more like comfortable in learning and, and, and comfortable in failing. But when you go to LA, it's like, you have to go there prepared as a professional actor, you know? Mm. And, um, uh, the, like I said, it's its own beast. The, the, the only way I can describe yeah. LA is that like, is it, like it has its own heartbeat, you know what I mean? It has, it has its own rhythm. It has its own intensity, you know? Um, but LA really taught me the importance of grind. And like, if you really want something, like you really have to work for it and you have to outwork 3 million other people <laughs> to get to that, you know, one spot, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of changed my whole perspective on my work ethic, just in general, across entrepreneurship now, across directing, across acting, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So, um, and then moving back here, I won't lie, it was super easy. <laughs> um, not like, not that it was tough or anything, but like, you know, just within like second year, I managed to get a role on TV, two roles on TV, um, which uh, kind of came, I wouldn't say easily, but it was definitely a lot easier than what I would, what I, what I would have had to done, do in LA or England, you know? Um, and at the time there were, there was the biggest TV show in the country at the time. And um, I just realized that I'm like, okay, cool. This is, this is what I've been doing in England and LA. And this is what it's kind of led up to, you know? So mm-hmm. you're right, Stephanie, like each one of those places ha- is its own beast. It's its own landscape. And you mm-hmm. just kind of need to understand each one of those landscapes, you know? And um, so you can kind of navigate through them. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You know, there's, there's so many, uh, I wouldn't call them myths, but rather stigmas around South African film industry being very uh, immature in maybe the way we produce, the way we act, all, in all spectrums. 
And um, it, it's quite hard to judge from someone uh, on the outside, also because guilty. I don't consume a lot of South African uh, film or any film media from South Africa. And uh, yes, surely guilty, but we also get fed a lot of uh, other other content. Um, but from someone who's now also, you know, been in the industry, is still in the industry in South Africa, what is, like right now, what would you say seeing world-class standards from like the best and the hottest hub where the film industry comes from, L.A., versus what's happening in South Africa in terms of the quality of production, technology used, uh, actors, scriptwriters, you know, the, the spectrum? So I wouldn't necessarily say that the um, South African market is immature. I would, I would say that it's more developing. And, it's, um, it's, uh, and even from when I came back here in 2015 to now, they've leaps and bounds in growth. You know what I mean? And um, it's really great to see. You know, um, I would say that, you know, the talent um, uh, and I think this is what it boils down to in L.A. and in England, the talent are the talent there are exposed to a lot, a lot better, you know, um, uh, equipment. And they exposed to like from a very young age, you know, so yeah. they like they've had the, the, the like exactly they've had like access to top quality tools and things to use you know within their um um within their craft you know in the acting space as well you know i think um there there's establishments in england that have been around since like 1920 1930 1940 and um really world class acting practitioners you know, have been teaching, you know, um, youngsters from a very young age throughout their whole teenage lives and into their, you know, um, professional careers, you know. So I think for the most part, you know, and I think in all aspects in South Africa, we are still playing catch up to a lot of things, whether it be in our tech, whether it be in our, I don't know, you know, a lot of different things, you know. So um, I think that it's it's growing and it's developing. And I think the trajectory that it's kind of come from uh, from when I was here in 2015 up until now, it's been absolutely incredible to see, you know, the the how we, I would say like in our own right, I believe that we are world-class, you know, um, yeah. and, and I feel like, you know, we, mm-hmm. we've put in the time, we've put in the effort and as time has gone, I think we've become, you know, depending on where you at in your career whatever you you have those you have that access to top quality equipment or top quality tutors or top quality institutions mm. to teach you certain things that can you know mold you to be the you know the um the creative that you are in the space yeah mm-hmm. mm. so m- maybe just also like a, a um a parallel point i think one of the things that i've been quite interested in is the result of a lot of these streaming services on the industry you know, when I think about a show like um, Blood and Water, it's like South Africa is definitely getting there. Like, oh, yes. we, we're starting to really produce some, some world cup content. And and that, that tends to happen when there is someone willing to, in a sense, just invest, just put money into the, the, the environment. Because I think, you know, when I think a lot about a lot of these other um, media regions, you know, outside of Hollywood from, you know, Bollywood, Nollywood and like the Spanish sort of um, sitcom sort of genres, all of those genres in, in some sense, they are really big in terms of their audience, but their actual simple visual quality may not be on the same level. Mm. But in some ways, the, the audience that they reach, I mean, the telenovelas, 
the amount of people that watch telenovelas. I've been in the heart of Kenya and caught people watching telenovelas, <laughs> um, like weird. in the rural parts of Kenya. And it's it's more like sure. when money comes in, that same audience is still there. It's just that the, the the quality of production essentially is 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 all that's increased. And so when something like blood and um, blood and water comes out, the same people who are watching all the other series watch that. It's just that you know in from the world's perspective, it seems like all of this growth has happened. But in a sense, the market is already there. That's so true. And and I like what you've said there, Brian. And like this has been um, um, quite a, a big observation is that quality is subjective at the end of the day, right? Mm. Look how far Nollywood has come, you know, with their quality, you know? It's freaking entertaining. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, they don't have to have the mm. best cameras, but they can tell a great story. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think... The, um, so I think all all of us as individuals, as as you know, um, as creatives, we we all have you know ability to tell a, a great story. We may not have you know high quality equipment to tell that story, but in one way or another, we're still telling you know a great story mm. at the end of the day. So yeah, yeah, man, like quality is subjective at the end of the day. Um, it's so crazy to see how far Nollywood has come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of they've they've made the most of the least. You know what I mean? And um, um, I love that you've also brought up, you know, like Blood and Water for an example. There's some great productions that are, you know, world class um, yeah. right now. You know, I've met some world class directors. You know what I mean? That are that are that are getting, you know, that are shooting some incredibly great series and films that are also making it to your top streaming platforms like Showmax, like mm. Netflix, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, and you no. Know, I think over the next decade, um, within the world, well, within this decade, I think we're going to see some really incredible things come out of Africa, especially with the mm. coming in of um, Disney, the coming in of you know Amazon, Amazon Prime now, um, Netflix as well has a massive presence, and they they're pumping mm-hmm. a lot of money into our local you know film make um, uh, film industry, um, so much so that like you know people that have been making like. Uh, like I said, you know, we all have the, uh, the ability to tell a really great story. Um, but when, you know, if we're telling, if we're making um, short films for, you know, 10 years, you know, we like we may not have access to the best equipment, but we're getting that training. We're getting that experience. Mm-hmm. We're getting that, you know, um, edge, if you want to call it that. So that when someone like, like Netflix comes in and gives you like, you know, a few million rand to like make something. Now you're like, oh, hectic. You know, now you really have that foundation of being able to tell a story through through um, through a cinematic lens. Now, all of a yeah. sudden, now you're just getting better cameras to tell that story, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think about. it. Amazing. Um, all right. Now, you know, as as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of this, um, you you like me are one of those multifaceted creatives who can always find something new yeah. to distract themselves with. Um, and one of the things that you spent a lot of your time um, doing and which we started speaking about a little bit is your your interest and experience in the music space. Um, yes. Now, I mean, for the for the layman, when you say that you're in the music space, but you don't actually create any music, they sort of tend to make oh, scratch their head a little bit. Oh, man, I wish I could be a rapper, bro. <laughs> like, I wish, man. Like, um, so even while I was living in England, um, I, I came across a lot of like musicians and I would hang out with them a lot. And the one day, um, I don't know if I've ever played it for you, Alfie, but I've made one song before, like one rap song before. Um, mm. And yeah, man, like, 
I, I like I had to delete it because I think it was a bit too embarrassing. But like when I <laughs> like when I listen back to it, it's a bit too cringe. But I've always had that thing of like even growing up, I used to you know like rap and 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 sing in the mirror like rap certain songs and act like I'm performing in front of a lot of people. So the music space is definitely a place that I feel um, is like home. You know, like um, I'm not in the mainstream space. You know what I mean? I think Gunji Beats was kind mm-hmm. of like my gateway into that mainstream space, but I've never stuck in that mainstream space. I like mm-hmm. connecting with independent underground artists and um, kind of working with them and, and seeing how I can help them in any kind of way, whether it be, you know, um, uh, whether it be managing them a little bit or giving them a different perspective. Um, so one thing I would I really like to highlight is me studying acting for so long, there were so many parallels that I felt mm. were between actors and musicians. You know, when, mm. so like, like if I'm, if I'm reading a script or like memorizing a script or performing a script, sorry, you know, um, there's a certain, there's certain tones, there's certain emotions, there's certain feelings that I need to kind of get across in my words and the way I say things and my, and my physicality and my voice, you know? And um, I've, I saw so many some like parallels with musicians. So when I was in studio with someone like Stan, for an example, um, you know, I would, you know, tell him to, you know, I would give him like acting advice to give the mm. best take in his, in, in his verses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like picture who you're speaking to, you know, um, uh, uh, and like once you start doing that, like you can really start to get the emotion out instead of just you reading your, reading your lyrics Mm. picture that person that you're speaking to whether it be i don't know it could be anyone you know it could be a friend it could be a girlfriend it could be a mother it could be anyone and then tell it to them like like speak to them don't don't mm-hmm. like don't just wrap it dry you know so yeah. just to answer your question i'll feel like very much in the music space but in a mm-hmm. much more different role i think i like mentoring artists i enjoy um uh, working with them from a business perspective making them realize the business of music and how they can capitalize on that. Or if I see mm-hmm. something really interesting in them, I'm really good at like pointing out like, that's your thing. That's your thing that is going to make you like Drake or that's that thing that's going to make you, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So it is more, more so like a mentorship, but also bro, like the visuals, like I would uh, like just with Ganji Beats, for an yeah. example, I would just make vlogs for them. Like, so different artists would come to the studio and I'll just be there filming them, recording them. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just like edit something together and then like give it to them and they'll post it and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, like just being involved in the space, but not necessarily being a rapper. Like I said, I really wish, I really wish I was a dope <laughs> rapper. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like as you were sort of speaking about how this is some of the par- parallels between acting and, um, um, and music and you know th- that that sort of need to almost put yourself in, in into almost like an alternate reality and bring bring everyone else with you in a sense because i mean that's both what actors and musicians do musicians just simply do it through you know sound and and, and actors do yeah. it through the, like their 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 um, body language and it's easy to think especially as a musician that you know the biggest challenge at the end of the day is to be actually like good at the craft of singing, allowing your voice to go to specific, you know, pitches, being able to say specific words. But in actual fact, like there, there are many popular musicians who are not that great no. at singing yeah. or that great lyrically, but yeah, 
they can they can engage a crowd and like yeah, they can they can emotion. make you they can they yeah. can take you on a journey to where and <laughs> of as controversial as this example might be i think especially the hip hop people might know about him is 69 right hmm. he is a fantastic example he's this this rapper who was a very young guy like he's got like almost a uh, fruit loops colored hair so he's got like multicolored <laughs> hair he wears like multicolored uh, grills and he shouts when he's rapping like literally shouts yeah, screams like and it's it, where he's like, like corn or something <laughs> and like you you can barely hear a lot of the things that he's saying unless you sort of listen to his music quite a bit but the thing that he did very well is he captured that like anger that that feeling of anger and he would mm. express that both in the way that he sounds and in the way like how he expresses himself in music and now granted he has got all of his other issues but if you look at yeah. it simply from that perspective it makes sense why somebody like that can become so famous and i think you of know course. especially you know when we the the many 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 afternoons we spent at in ganja beats the studio and watching artists develop over time that for me was always one of the most interesting things about knowing them like you you know i mean think back to the first time deep started rapping and like we were seeing him in his early days until up until the person that he is now like you sort of see him when he's rapping to a mic you see him do the kind of things that you'd expect to see an artist do on stage and it's almost like yeah. you can see him in his mind he's there he's yeah. like performing he's in some ways acting like the the yeah. the stage into reality exactly like when you yeah. when you when you have a conversation with deeps just like mm. normally he's the most chill like yeah. laid back dude you'd ever meet in your life he's funny you know he's he's, he's this charmer guy you know what i mean like he's mm-hmm. super chill bro but like once he gets behind the mic it's this character you know mm-hmm. he's no more deepo he's deeps now with the dollar sign mm-hmm. you know what i mean like he's, <laughs> he's, he's kind of like so like and like like you like you brought up 69 you brought up deeps you know at the end of the day like you know it's, it's storytelling right and you need mm-hmm. to be able to tell that story in a convincing way like mm-hmm. um if deeps was himself you know behind the mic it wouldn't have that that punch that he packs when he when he delivers mm-hmm. a really great verse you know yeah. he needs to put on a uh you know he needs to i don't know like an ego like a bit of a you know mm-hmm. a bit of a chip on his shoulder Sorry, in order to yeah. get that across you know um mm-hmm. and so like the person that he is in real life behind uh, versus behind the mic two different people and like mm-hmm. that's where that parallel comes in with the whole acting thing yeah. um because it really is about you know i wouldn't say all the time but it is about playing mm-hmm. that character because at the end mm-hmm. of the day you want to tell a story and i think 69 also did that like like you said he captured that anger and he related mm-hmm. to so many different people but it was all just mm-hmm. through his storytelling in his own way i could never yeah. hear the how what, what he was saying but i'm sure a couple <laughs> angry kids out there understood everything you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so chaz yeah. you mentioned you know now you you're in the music space but uh alpha's also saying no one really quite knows what that means when you say in music space but you're not creating music and you've mentioned you quite interested and in pursuing um a role that's very interested in the business side of music and mentoring artists and all of that what does that look like on a day to day cuz i have no idea what the business of music actually looks like yeah apart from so- the production side Yeah. So 
so like just to kind of like clear things like I'm not being in the music space is something that I just enjoy it's like a yeah. passion of mine it's not something that I make money from in um, in any kind of way so okay. it's not a serious career of mine mm. you know it's just something that I just really enjoy I like being in the space I like shooting content and I like working with artists you know so like I can definitely give you some insight on like what that looks like on a day-to-day basis in terms of like managing an artist, but it's not necessarily something that I do. Right. So in the beginning, you know, in 2015, 2016, when I was in university trying everything, I used to call myself a music manager, you know, but I wasn't necessarily like that, like, you know, um, I wasn't that serious about it in a sense. Right. So I always have this thing like artists need to find great managers, Right. So as much as the artist is pushing for world class status in their music, they need to find a manager who's also wanting to be a world class manager. And that's what really makes the best, you know, combat like duos within the space. So, you know, just, you know, um, uh, what I would do, especially within the music indeed space, I would just do the business strategy, the maybe the personal brand strategy of the artist as well. Um, you know, encouraging them to do certain things and change certain certain things, you know, um, certain habits or whatever the case is to to really start stepping into the role of being a professional musician, you know. Um, also just making them understand that this is a business and um, your your music is the product and you need to be able to sell that product. And that all comes through image, through marketing, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I'm still quite close with Ganja Beats. You know, I was with them this week even, you know, and Himmel as well is now stepping into being a a proper music manager now instead of being, you know, this music producer slash, you know, business, uh, yeah, corporate music and um, business of music, et cetera, et cetera. But he's kind of stepping into the role of being a manager and that really requires you looking after, you know, your, like your talent, making sure that, you know, making them, you know, uh, hooking them up with certain gigs, um, uh, like uh, through your network, um, brand deals, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's the type of day-to-day things that happen as like with a music manager. Um, I, uh, one person I admire so much within the space is um, a gentleman by the name of Bash. And um, when I look at Bash, I, I, he's such a world-class music manager. It's, 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 it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, um, I even remember that there was a time where he was, you know, not necessarily managing the biggest artists. And that's when I realized that he's in it because he loves it. It's not because, you know, like, mm. um, you know, so he came up with, you know, Nadia Nakai, then he came up with Ace and he came up with Visa View, you know, then he also was Boiti's manager at some point, you know, so, and now he's kind of like back and now he's like, um, uh, he's rebranded himself to being a musician. I don't know if you've seen Alfie. Alfie, like, it's really great to see his his evolution, you know? Someone I respect highly within the space. And that's when I kind of realized the importance of um, linking with a manager that is also striving to be the best mm-hmm. in his craft, you know? And there's not many not many music managers like Bash. There's, there's a few, don't get me wrong, you know, but... Um, I think there's that, there's that shift or, or there's that kind of like thinking that, that you need to have as a music manager that'll, you know, make me feel comfortable, you know, you managing me if I was an artist, you know, um, I don't know if I answered your question. I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I went on the tangent there. Yeah. No, I guess you did. Yeah. You also muted Alfie. 
<laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to add a little right. bit to what you were saying, Chaz, because I think um, when you're the one actually doing the managing, it's a little bit difficult to, you know, toot your own horn. Um, and I think mm. especially observing what you guys were doing, I remember there was one day where I, I, I really saw in some sense an example of what the role you were playing was in music indeed. <clears throat> I remember, I think it was either around the beginning of the year or the end of the year. And you kind of invited everyone to, to you know, to King James and all the people from Music Indeed kind of like came through and we, we sat outside and we had a lunch. Um, and I was just watching you chat to them. Because there's, there's, there's something that, that changes for you as a creative when somebody else takes you seriously. When it's not just you believing in your 100%. own dreams. And there's somebody else who is like, okay, yeah. Okay, let's take this thing seriously. What are the things that you need to achieve? And each person, yeah. like, you know, would be able to share and, like, engage with you at that level to have somebody else be taking them, them seriously and the thing that they're trying to do seriously. Because one of the biggest challenges as a creative is all the naysaying. Like, there mm. are so many people who are telling yeah. you that you're not going to be able to make money from it. You're not going to be able to do this. It's going to be too difficult. Find a real job, what 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 And really what you need is just somebody be like, I see you. I see where you're coming from. How are you going to get there? And, mm. you know, when, and I think that's one of the things that separates some of the artists who eventually grow to be big, especially the, one, the, the ones that have got raw talent. Because in some ways, raw sure. talent is really good, but it gets you into spaces that you don't know how to deal with very well. And that's mm. when a manager becomes very important and extremely useful because they, they sort of can see the... Firstly, they're a great bullshit beater, but they're also yes. um, a, a person who can see opportunities for you. When I think about all of the, the like collaboration recommendations that come out of that, like opportunities for like how to brand yourself so that you can get a specific sponsorship, you know, all of these discussions that in a way a lot of creatives think about, but don't feel comfortable enough to voice to the world without yeah, feeling yeah. a little bit of imposter syndrome. I think that's one of the things that a, a manager does that doesn't get seen enough because it usually happens behind closed doors, but is mm. vital. True story. I think um, you, you've, you've mentioned something quite important there, bro. Like an artist's job is to create music, you know? They're not supposed to create music and run their business, you know? Like they can't, um, they mm. can, don't get me wrong. But I think that there's, that's why manager is such a key player. He'll handle all mm -hmm. the business. He or she will handle all the business. And then the artist will just make the product. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think there's, um, there's a certain level of um, creativity that comes from an individual who's incredibly talented that feels comfortable in the environment with themselves. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, I wouldn't say being in their comfort zone, but like in a space where they feel comfortable to create, right? Mm -hmm. um, comfortable to create. And um, yeah. from... Yeah. And, and like what I've realized is a lot of artists, they don't like the marketing stuff, you know, like they don't like, you know, the business things. They just want to create music, you know. Mm. Um, and then those artists have to now force themselves to learn marketing, to learn business, to 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 go to these networking events, et cetera, et cetera. You know, because um, which I, I feel like a good knowledge of those things are very important for artists. But in terms of them waking up every day, they just want to make music. You know, and if everything mm -hmm. else could be taken care of, that'll be very beneficial towards the end product and the quality of that end product, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's just my two cents about that. 
Yeah, it's so That's interesting. Amazing. You know, it makes me think about the. There's such a parallel to what you guys are both mentioning in the music space as well as actually almost any creative pursuit. Uh, and it's it's so strange that it hasn't developed to a point where um, other creative disciplines also have this form of a manager. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because I'm I'm going to use illustration as an example for illustrators out there. And I wonder if it's because people judge music more harshly than we would something visual, maybe. Mm. Because Mm. you see a lot of uh, creatives stepping into a freelance role or independent role um, in various different industries, myself and Alfie's industry included. And, uh, you know, it's it's very romanticized being Mm -hmm. an independent artist or being a a freelancer. But in essence, just like you mentioned, you have to, there's the downside of it, which is you only 20% of your job actually becomes the creative part that you wanted to focus on initially. And um, Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm just so curious why the music space has matured to that point, but some of the other creative uh, disciplines haven't to have this Mm -hmm. person like a manager who is, um, Almost like your mascot, your ambassador, but also your, um, uh, what do you call it, your advisor. Because um, mm-hmm. to what Alfie's saying, you know, we all actually have this inherent need. And I think creatives almost in uh, even more to to have our ideas validated. We hear, in, even in the podcast, we hear all the creatives we've spoken about, every single episode about speaking about imposter syndrome and needing someone to to help you um, through that or overcome that. And a lot of creatives are doing it solo by themselves. That's so crazy you say that. Uh, that's, that's so true. That's so true. I don't know why there's other creative disciplines that don't necessarily have the same kind of structure as the music mm-hmm. industry, for an example. Like let the creator create and let the businessman do the managing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and that's actually a really interesting interesting point, eh, Stephanie? That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say it's, it, to me it would seem like, you know, if I were to zoom out and look at <clears throat> the field that I know about, it would seem like the newer ones like that. But if you think about most of the older creative pursuits, that like, I mean, yeah, painters maybe. have got galleries. And, yes. and, and and even personal reps, um, mm. musicians, same thing, actors, same thing, because those disciplines have existed for a very long time. Mm. Mm. But like mm. in some ways, the digital artists and the the you know yes, yes, the three yes, yes. artists and so on were almost like the what do you what do you call it the I forget what the, the pretended to the throne almost yeah. like we just kind of <laughs> came in through the woodwork and we're like here we're also one of the creatives. And so in some sense, there hasn't been this years and years of history and structure being built up around Mm. these creative disciplines. And I think it's so important, actually, that you bring this up, Steph, because I think so many disciplines could benefit from taking a leaf out of the older books and actually look at these these sort of ideas of having like a business representative and focusing specifically Mm. on your craft. Would you say, though, I'm thinking about, Alfie, this distinction you're making about the conventional creative um, careers and the newer ones, such as UX design, digital illustration, digital motion, all of these. Mm -hmm. Would you say that, 
I'm just thinking about the industry we're in. Community is such an important part of it. And I know in some other newer creative fields, community is also very big. It's very community driven. Where mm-hmm. if I look at some of my friends who are in the traditional artist space, um, I would, there's a big community, but community isn't a big driving force or a big, um, a key component for you to succeed further or mm-hmm. like a key part of your uh, career journey. Do you think maybe that's kind of how it's been replaced or at least an attempt to? Because a community is affirming a community. We're kind of all discussing the problems together and it's like a different way of approaching it. I I think I I get what you're saying. In some ways, it's it's, it's a way of almost replacing the need for that direct manager, almost Mm. outsourcing your problem to the community, like the problem is specifically around you know, imposter syndrome and validation and, and, and all of those yeah, things that creators yeah. need to deal with. Um, I think there's there, there's merit in that. Um, now, I mean, you know, we'd obviously need to consider a whole bunch of other things <laughs> and have a definite answer. But I think that does make sense because in some ways they play a similar similar role. I think when, especially when you're in a performing art, you can't afford to have a community be that, that um, you know, that anchor yes. or that support system because... You know, then things get out and scandals and all kind of <laughs> crazy stuff. Um, but I mean, design is maybe a little bit more tame than the acting and the um, the the music industry, and so maybe it makes a little bit more sense to outsource those kinds of challenges. But again, mm. this is just me speculating. <laughs> this is all data driven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, so before we get too far off track um you know we've spoken about the the um the acting hat spoken a little bit about the music hat and there is in some way the hat that the two of us share i think most is the in some ways the tech and business side of things and in some ways that that's i think you know where where everything is kind of like converged so can you tell us a little bit about that um your your foray into that space i know you've been a part of a couple of founding teams and a part of a part of a couple of startups. Yeah. So I think tech has always been my first love. Um, Way before I realized I wanted to do acting and filmmaking and stuff like that. Tech is, um, I remember even when I was, you know, in in high school, um, I used to watch every single time Apple had an event um, unveiling the new um, iPads or new softwares or the new phones or whatever the case is. I would always, to this day, I still watch them all yeah. live, right? Um, and um, it even got to the point where, like, you know, I even told my mom, I'm like, yo, man, like, I think I want to be the CEO of Apple one day. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think um, it's important to dream. So so that's just a kind of, like, give you, like, tech was 100% my first love. I was just so in uh, gadgets, just how things worked. Um, these are, uh, like, just brands. I, I had every single PlayStation I had you know, um, different, you know, flat screen TVs. I've had PSPs. I've had like, like I had the first, very first iPhone, you know, um, at the very first iPod touch, whenever these things drop, I'm always like, you know, the first to kind of get them. Um, and then it kind of got a bit deeper. I think, uh, before it was more so about products. Um, Mm -hmm. and then it kind of like progressed into understanding tech and just like how, you know, softwares work, how, you know, things are kind of, um, you know, um, tech is such a such a broad 
thing, you mm-hmm. know, from products mm-hmm. or services to, you know, software, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of started like diving deep into multiple different things. I think even when I saw Apple Music for the first time, I was like, holy shit. When I saw Spotify for the first time in like 2014 or 2013, I think mm. I was like, this, these are really good and dope platforms for, for artists. And then I started to realize the importance of, you know, p- building platforms for people to kind of, um, uh, whether it be distribute their work or express themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. So, yeah, and that kind of just led me to, you know, um, I think I only really started getting involved in starting businesses once I moved back to South Africa. So even my time at university, and um, this is more or less also where Alfie and I kind of you know started. Um, so there was this uh, company we started called The Collective. And I think that's kind of where everything kind of started for me in terms of mm-hmm. um, ideating a business, you know what I mean, from the ground up in the tech space. Um, mm-hmm. So The Collective, we kind of just wanted to build that. We saw just within being in university, we saw a gap for a platform for independent artists, independent filmmakers, independent content creators, um, independent, you know, graphic, whatever it is, right? So we just kind of wanted to build a platform for, you know, um, uh, artists across the continent, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. um, just the people that I was aligned with at the time, people like Wenzi, people like yourself, Mm -hmm. Alfie, people like... Um, you know, even Ganiso and William and Mandla and and and, and all mm-hmm. of them, um, just kind of aligning with them, um, also just showed me they they opened up my mind to so many different things. Like mm-hmm. I was in second year where we had a pitch with uh, 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 fuck, what's that company called? Uh, C CSIR is mm-hmm. a, yeah CSIR, and so like I was in second year, and you know, um, my business partner at the time, Wenzi he was like, you know, in negotiations with CSIR for us to pitch our company to them. And that's when I first started to realize, oh, hectic, this is a, this is a big <laughs> thing, you know? Um, and then, yeah, like so many things have kind of happened since then. The Collective, there was Music Indeed, obviously. There was um, Im Fundi, which was also, I think, we'll, I think you have specific experience. questions about Im Fundi at that time. Um, mm. And now I'm now I've got Maduna, you know, and Maduna is more within the Web three space, uh, NFT, NFT more specifically, right? So, yeah, I've always been a big advocate of tech. I've always loved it, um, inside and out, you know. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's kind of just led me to. I've got a graveyard, by the way, of startup companies behind me. I think that's just how <laughs> curious and you know um, curious I am sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, it, when you're experiencing them, it's 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 easy to kind of like forget about the things that you achieve on the path through that graveyard. Mm. But there've been some things True. that have been achieved along the way that are just mind blowing. I mean, if we take Duke for an example, um, so we, I mean, for quite a while oh. we we're working with Duke Corporate Education and the um, Million Young Minds campaign. That was crazy. Yes. I mean, that yes. year was the year um, Sophia. I don't know if you know that AI robot thing, Steph. Um, it's like yes, an AI yes, called yes, Sophia. Yes, but, yeah. Yes, so yes. Sophia came to South Africa and like we, mm. in a sense, built that event with the like, Yes, literally. Mm. I think so I, I, like I, I know inter- one of the, the guys that, uh, that brought the Sophia into South Africa. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Continue. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So like Infundi was, Infundi was the first 
Oh, no, I wouldn't say the first, but like it was definitely the most prominent out of all of the startups I've been part of before, right? Um, so we we were kind of, at the time, during 2018, 2019, there was this massive buzzword, 4IR was like just buzzing everywhere, right? So everyone was just talking about this fourth industrial revolution and how tech is basically going to take over our lives and all of these things, right? So we mm-hmm. kind of just built a company that kind of rode that wave, right? And um, to the point, like you said, Alfie, like we we... We partnered with Duke Corporate Education um, as like who are probably one of our biggest, you know, clients or uh, yeah, clients. And um, we were doing so many different things for them, right? So we were also um, building drone immersions, right? So we we basically built like um, a whole masterclass, if you want to call it, or like education program on how to build drones and how building these Lego drones relates to building a business, right? So um, mm-hmm. then there was also obviously Sophia, the AI robot that also came down and we were also like, you know, planning a lot of the activation stuff uh, um, for the event, right? So I remember, I don't know if you remember, we, we were also in talks with Jump Loom at the time, which is a, a really incredible mm-hmm. VR company. They also came through, they did an exhibition. We, we also organized a bunch of different robots to come through and like, I don't know if you remember that one activation, Alfie, the one that... Um, like if you wanted a cap, this robot arm would go and get you this cap and then it would pick it up and then give it to you. Um, so yeah, man, like um, Infundi was incredible. I think that was probably one of mm. um, the most uh, um, uh, like, how, how do I say? Like probably one of the best years in my entrepreneurship journey. I learned so much from the team. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't have the confidence that my business partners had. Um, because I was coming mm-hmm. from an acting, directing background, and now all of a sudden, now we're mm-hmm. sitting in corporate meetings mm-hmm. with, you know, um, a top business, top business people from around the world, and um, you know, in mm-hmm. conference calls with people from New York and London, Canada, all these different places, right? So um, mm-hmm. that was such a big learning experience for me, and I think I owe a lot of what I'm doing now in the NFT Web three space to that year. I think I learned so much from that mm-hmm. experience that it's kind of like translating yeah. to my, um, how do I say, like my, my, like my, my aggressive approach to business is very much, <laughs> you know, um, uh, like from that time, you know, because of my mm-hmm. business partners, right? My business partners at the time, they were, they were sharks, you know? And they knew how to move in this yeah. entrepreneurship space. Like they had seven years under their belt at the time of entrepreneurship where I had sure. seven years of acting wow. and directing, you know? So mm. I learned so much from them and um, I owe a lot of my, um, my uh, like, I don't know, my ambition, my work ethic and a lot, a lot to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a very, like, I, I have to admit that it was very much the same for me. I think it was the first time. I'd ever experienced what it was like to be around a room of entrepreneurs. Like it's a different kind of air. <laughs> like it, it, yeah. it's hard, it's very hard to explain, especially if you haven't experienced it. Like there's, yeah. there's almost like an irrational optimism <laughs> yes. that, that, that kind of just yes. hovers around the room all the time, yeah. regardless of what you're talking yeah. about. And True. the thing that was always Big so surprising is, is like, yeah. Mm, Mm, big thing and and the thing is it's not only thinking i think that was the thing that really shocked me about that team and really impressed me it's like yeah i've met a lot of people who talk a big game yeah. but i haven't mm. met, met very many 
who execute that same big game. And that for me was, was, was really Speaking eye-opening. of that, Alfie, so part of the, <clears throat> the biggest part of the, the whole bringing down Sophia, the AI robot, we were basically mm. tasked with the, yo, the mammoth of a task of live streaming the ceremony or this, this conference to a million people across South Africa. I don't know if you remember that, Alfie. Yeah. So we, so we had to basically like um, find a way that and not only live stream it, right, but we also needed to create um, um, the watch parties, right? So we went into Soweto, we went into like a couple other places, but we had like different watch parties with different primary schools and high schools in like, you know, um, underprivileged areas is, and they around Joburg, around Durban as well, that we basically then partnered with MTN at the time to give dongles so we can give to all of these schools and load them with data so that we could essentially then live stream this event to them. Um, so yeah, man, and what is so crazy is that they wanted us to reach a million people. And I think, um, yeah, we were just like, dude, I don't know how the hell we're going to do that in two weeks. And because now we need to get the awareness up, we need to do all of these different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a massive success at the end of the day. I think uh, we reached mm-hmm. over like 1.5 million people, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And that was just all due to like, you know, like like you said, Alfie, like there's this, there's this, this, there's a certain air when you're around different entre- like a group of entrepreneurs, right? The ambition sometimes yeah. is super scary, super scary. Yeah, yeah. It's like you've got a disrespect towards reality. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, one thousand percent. One thing, Chaz, that I think would be interesting for us to just talk a little bit about. You know, um, <clears throat> we've spoken a lot about your creative um, pursuits. But one of the things we mentioned at the beginning is that you are also an entrepreneur um, and are really exploring the, the the business and technology space at the moment. Um, and in our previous chats, you know, we, we've many times talk, talked about the, the impact that Wednesday has, has had on the both of us. So I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about the story behind that and what that eventually evolved into in terms of your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so... When I was when I was at after um, Wednesday and I were pretty much in the same class, and that's kind of like how him and I connected. And um, I remember we were sitting in a in a um, in a lecture once, and him and I were sitting side by side, and um, uh, they were talking about like streaming platforms um, in in one of our classes. And um, yeah, like he kind of just looked at me and he was like, "Yo, bro, I want to build one of these." And I was like, yo, me too. <laughs> um, and, and at that time, um, I remember I had like maybe three, four months um, of like just imagining what the streaming platform would look like and et cetera, et cetera. So when he just kind of said to me, yo, I want to build this. I was like, yo, bro, like I'm, I'm already there, you know. Um, and then I kind of like started to get to know Wednesday a lot more. And it was so crazy because he had multiple different startups while he was at after studying acting with me. Um, and then I remember just looking at him, I'm like, yo, bro, like, what are you doing here? Like you, you're not an actor, like you, you're like, you're an entrepreneur, like more than anything else. He was an incredible actor, you know? Um, but I was just very confused as like why he's doing this and not that, you know? So, um, off the bat, you know, he really, um, he really impressed me in that way, you know? And, um, so him and I just kind of had multiple different meetings, um, and um, just like sit sit downs, chats, and uh, take him through all of my ideas. He took me through his ideas, and we kind of just thought, you know, 
this is what we need to do. And that's kind of like how mm-hmm. the collective was started. Um, yeah. It's so crazy how that kind of divine timing was just so perfect. You know, it was super mm-hmm. perfect. And um, yo, so like we just ended up building the collective for a few months. And um, he had such a, a very big, profound impact on my life as a, as an individual, um, as well as an entrepreneur. Uh, so he he's the one who kind of really gave me confidence to be an entrepreneur you know, in the tech space is something that I was always kind of pursuing in my own time, but nothing that I would ever take serious to actually go out mm-hmm. and start pitching my startup to different investors or to different people, et cetera, et cetera. But he was the guy who kind of just pushed me over that edge to be like, yo, bro, you can do this, you know? Um, and yo, like, I remember you, even you getting involved um, a few months down the line from a UI UX mm-hmm. perspective, right? And um, we would spend, and I'm, I'm sure you remember Alfie, like we would spend yeah. nights on end. After, after our lectures, we'd go back to his place and we would just strategize and just build this, mm. build this app, you know. Um, and then, yeah, that's, he also kind of introduced me to Nganiso, to William, to Mandla, to Tarek, to, you know, all of these other guys that also had a major impact, you know, on my life. And that's how Imfundi was started. And that's mm. kind of like how um, Wenzi, fun fact, Wenzi was the person who actually um, uh, um, initiated the relationship with Duke Corporate Education, which was crazy. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's a story on its own. I wasn't there when yeah. that um, introduction happened, but he was the one who who was like uh, very curious as to who, you know, this, this lady behind him was. And he kind of just mm. asked and then she was like... Um, a very big, you know, she had a very big role at Duke Corporate Education at the time. Um, now she's, I think she's the CEO or something now, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he kind of was he, he was, he was always that curious individual, you know, who, who always just like, you know, um, um, yeah, like extremely curious, extremely knowledgeable, a very, you know, visionary. Um, intelligent. He's a visionary. Yeah. You know? Mm. Um, so yeah, we kind of just had, you know, then Imfundi. And then once we started Imfundi, the collective kind of just um, took a little bit of a step back because, you know, do corporate education was quite a demanding, you know, client, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, and I remember, so yeah, like uh, just the impact that he had on my life was just, astronomical in many ways he was you know best friend to me he was um someone that i trusted and um him and i had a great deal of respect and and trust for for each other in this in this entrepreneurship space and um there would be times you know as well where we'd go to his place and we have work planned but we would just end up speaking about life and just like figuring Mm -hmm. ourselves out you know at the time Mm -hmm. um and then yeah so yeah just to like wrap up the story about wednesday you know um there was, um, I had like a really, really great opportunity at the time. Um, I remember I just uh, graduated from um, AFTER and um, an opportunity for me to direct probably one of the, uh, like my first big breakthrough as a director in the in the industry. I was directing mm-hmm. a KitKat com- um, campaign, digital campaign for um, Nestle and stuff like that. And um, mm-hmm. I just remember how, how chuffed he was for me. You know what I mean? And yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like that week that I was in pre-production, they were going back and forth with Duke Corporate Education. They were, you know, in a multiple different meetings. And even though I was in pre-production, he would always just send me these updates and be like, yo, bro, um, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. This is, you know, everything that we need to get done, basically, right? And um, so I remember I came back from, I shot the KitKat campaign that day. 
and um, kind of got home very late at night. And um, I remember he just kind of gave me last couple updates and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, cool, perfect. Um, I'll link up with them, you know, the next day. And um, so, yeah, I went to bed that night and um, I kind of just got a call at 4 a.m. in the morning, letting me know that um, Wednesday was, uh, had, had been murdered in a sense, right? So um, mm. that kind of just shook my world completely. I even remember... Yeah, you were the first person I actually called, Alfie. Um, I think my dad was the first person I called and then I called you. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, bro, I just, I was so numb, incredibly numb. I didn't know what the hell to do with myself. Um, But that there, it's almost as if, you know, my entire, the floor underneath me had been like rugged (laughs) out from underneath Mm -hmm. me, you know? Um, Because, yeah, besides being the greatest business partner that I could have ever had, you know, he was, you know, like I said, like a really, a really good friend, you know, like one of my best friends, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of like derailed a lot of my entrepreneurship at the time. Um, the collective has now just been put on ice since. Um, Fundi, like I remember at like the year that I was there and the year that we had, you know, founded the startup. I was one of the first people to to leave Imfundi because... Um, there was just so much of that environment that was just reminding me of him. And I felt like I wasn't like dealing with, you know, his loss and stuff like that. So um, mm-hmm. there were times I was just mentally just super checked out of, of, of Imfundi, even mm-hmm. the time at the peak of our working relationship with due corporate education, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, um, that was a massive life changing moment for me yeah. and my entrepreneurial journey and just me as an individual, mm-hmm. you know? So um, but yeah, it was, it was super hectic and, um, yeah, it took me like a few months to really just gather myself again and kind of just be like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. He's not coming back and I just needed this, you know, deal with it, you know? Um, and I know that he would have also wanted me to kind of just continue and pursue. So that's cool. So mm. a lot of what I'm doing today is, um, very much uh, in honor of him. Yeah. Mm. You know, this... On on that note, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think that, that really made me realize is, it, it, in some ways, it doesn't matter how how smart you are, how great your ideas are, like how you know amazing in any kind of way that you are, like the time that you have is limited, and you can't spend it on things that you don't believe in, things that you're not passionate about, because there may come a day when you eventually decide to chase your pattern, I mean, your passion. And, you know, that might be the last few that you have left. And so, like, I think since that time, every time I'm thinking about making a change or kind of like just, you know, sitting with it and waiting, like, I think about that and it kind of, it's one of the things that always gives me, like, the motivation to step out into the unknown and to take a chance and to take a risk. Um, Just because not only did he embody that, I I, I guess in some ways the way that it ended also showed the result of, of, you know, what it looks like when your time is cut short. And I think outside of the fact that it was such a big tragedy and such a huge hit, I think it also shaped me in ways that I don't think anything else has. 
Mm. Like it's it's one. Th- I know. I mean, there are many people who've lost family members and so on, but um, I think for me that was the first person who I knew personally and engaged with on an ongoing basis. Um, that I'd lost, and I, I think it, it it changes you in a way. Um, yeah. yeah. It does, man. It's funny you say that. I think after a few months of just like, I don't know, getting over myself, if you want to call it that, um, I realized one big thing and just based off what you just said right now is that like, um, I made a promise to myself that like everything that I ever set out to do, I'm going to do it, you know, because um, uh we don't actually know when when our time is up. Mm-hmm. It could be um, in your control, out of your control, you know? And that kind of just motivated me beyond measure mm-hmm. to be like, okay, cool. Everything that I said I was going to do and everything that Wednesday and, and, and us said we were going to do, I'm going to make sure that we that we get it done. You know what I mean? Um, simply because mm-hmm. you're, when, I, when I think of him, it's like there was just so much, you know, that he had done, but compared to what he was going to do, there was just too much potential, just too much. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? That like, yeah. I thought that like, you know, I don't want to go out with potential. You know, I want to go out having done things. And when my time is up, yeah. And when my Spend time is up, um, I want to, you know, um, make sure that everything I said I was going to do, I want to get done. You know what I mean? Um, and that kind of fundamentally shifted, mm. you know, if I, if I didn't have work ethic before, which I think I did, that amplified everything for me. You know what I mean? Um, work ethic just kind of doubled, mm-hmm. tripled, quadrupled, you know? Um, and then, yeah, like, it's mm-hmm. so funny, even just with saying that, uh, this, I don't know if this is going to make the edit or whatever, but remember there was a time where I went to Swaziland. I just told everyone, yo, guys, like, I'm just not dealing with this. And this was like four, five, six mm-hmm. months later, I think it was. Well, from March and, and July, I went. Mm-hmm. From March to July. In July, I was like, guys, I just actually need to just take a step back and just deal with things, you know? Um, and one of the things that I did on my hiatus mm-hmm. was um, I told myself, remember at the time, Alfie, like him and I always have had these bench sessions. And I would tell him all the time, yo, Alfie, you see this girl here? I'm going to marry her, you know? And I would show him this Instagram page of this of this one of this one lady. At that time, you know, I, she barely probably even knew who I was. You know what I mean? And um, in that hiatus, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, I want stability. I want to, you know, find someone. I want to do this. So I finally just had the courage to, you know, um, I, obviously that time was for me to deal with Wednesday. But one of the decisions I made in that hiatus was I'm just going to do everything that I said I was going to do. I'm going to reach out to this girl right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I got back to Joburg, um, ended up reaching out to her. Um, we ended up dating a couple months later. And a few months ago, we actually got married, which is which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was just like, and that was in the time, like, you know, I made certain decisions that I was going to do what I need to do. And everything that I said I'm going to do, I must just do it, you know? And that was, you know, all because of all because of mm. Wednesday, you know what I mean? Yeah. Crazy. Mm. Super crazy. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm. It really is beautiful. Um and so, you know, I, I guess fast forward a couple of years, you know, um here we are today. Um and I think, you know, I mean, even the, the two of us no longer um live in the same apartment anymore. Um sort of 
still connected, yeah. but kind of gone our separate ways. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment um, and um, what that cool, looks yeah. like? So the beginning of 2021, obviously after the, the after the really hard knock of the pandemic, um, there was just like a, a calling or some sort of, um, something was just telling me that I just need to kind of um, start something, right? This is after now I've left Fundi, I've left everything. I'm now clean slates. Obviously the pandemic kind of flattened everything for us, right? Um, I kind of just thought, okay, cool, clean slate. Everything that I've been through over the past decade, um, how do I build something that I enjoy, that's for myself, that, um, you know, would um, essentially have a long lasting impact, you know? So um, that's when I kind of stumbled across. And I remember at the time, even during the pandemic, Alfie, like I was very, I was going down the rabbit hole fully of cryptocurrencies and, and stuff like that. So, sorry, mm. just, to, just to go back, Alfie. So I was mm. looking at a document the other day of the collective's business proposal. And um, Wednesday had like put our names on this document and he um, said um, 17th of June, 2017 or something like that. I think that um, that was the date on the document. When I scrolled mm-hmm. all the way down to the doc, um, all the way down on the document, um, I see him and I were basically exploring the idea of using cryptocurrency as payment. And then also um, some at that time we were thinking like, are there any types of like tokens or something that we could kind of use that, you know, these guys could essentially come through and submit or cash in at the end of every month. These artists could kind of like collect these tokens and then Mm. submit them to us at the end of the month. And we can kind of give them a percentage of the monthly subscriptions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of, that was very early. And then what is so crazy is that a couple of years later, when you were going deep in the UI UX, then you came up with the badges and stuff like that, which is crazy. Mm. So in a sense, right, mm-hmm. um, the, the thing that I'm yeah. doing now is very much within that space. So just to get back on track, in 2021, early 2021, I kind of stumbled across NFTs for the first time. And that's when I really went down the, re- the Web3 rabbit hole. And I realized that, oh, NFTs are tied to cryptocurrency. It's all linked through this common technology, the blockchain. I was like, oh, hectic, you know? And um, from there, I just kind of went relentlessly, you know, all in on this Web3 kind of space. And um, I spent a good four or five months just kind of conceptualizing this um, this Web3 ecosystem, if you want to call it that, right? And um, at the time, I called it Zion, um, like the Zion blockchain or Zion wallet or Zion marketplace and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, like... Fast forward to today, um, uh, I basically it's it's more established than what it was back then. But um, right now, the building this blockchain ecosystem that is made up of different products and services that kind of just um, is built for artists, for brands, for musicians, for um, nonprofit organizations, for events as well. Just kind of reimagining what like a, what an NFT marketplace or NFT platform would look like for those you know, disciplines or those different industries, if you know what I mean. Um, and then, yeah, so that's that's basically Maduna mm-hmm. Labs in a nutshell. Um, we basically have uh, a, a Maduna NFT studio, which is like an NFT agency, if you want to call it that. I'm kind of um, uh, steering away from the word agency. But we have um, a Maduna NFT studio, which is um, uh, where we kind of just help brands, artists, 
um, NPOs, events and stuff, build NFT projects or NFT collections for their brand, right? Um, and then we have the NFT marketplace, which is currently in early stages of UI UX. Um, the mockups are done, the kind of conceptualizing is done. Um, so we kind of like in the early stages of, you know, mapping out the actual design of the, of the, of the NFT marketplace, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy to see how far that's also come. Um, and then, yeah, we have also Blockchain Bags Academy, which is a little bit on, mm-hmm. on, on ice at the moment, but a, a really, it's a Web3 education um, brand or, or community, if you want to call it that, um, where we kind of just teach people about NFTs, about blockchain, about crypto, about DAOs, about um, all sorts of different things within the Web3 world and the Web3 space. Um, so, yeah, it's just this kind of like ecosystem of, I actually have mm-hmm. it all written up here. Um, and then, yeah, we also want to kind of go into building our own blockchain um, in the next, you know, two to three years. It'll be really cool to kind of explore that. And then we build our own products on top of our own blockchain. And um, in my opinion, I think every business mm-hmm. and every brand are going to have some sort of blockchain, private blockchain within their business. Um, and I think that every brand or um, are probably going to have, you know, their own NFT marketplace at, at some point, you know what I mean? Or integrate um, an, an, an NFT marketplace mm. or NFT capabilities into their already existing, you know, e-com sites or um, just brand sites, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, so I just thought with that realization, mm. I was like, dude, I might as well just build my own one for my own agency, right? Um, and then, yeah, so yeah, that's basically Maduna Labs in pretty much a nutshell yeah that's amazing um i think <clears throat> one of the things that's just interesting about that especially because web3 and nfts are such a buzzword it's easy to think that it's just kind of like just another person jumping on the bandwagon but i think yeah. especially having spoken to you in some ways a lot of the things that that are happening now are things that we mm. spoke about before the mm. technology had words for them you know this idea of tokens this idea of um, having like a, a, a network of different levels of artists sort of collaborating and, and building up their own brands and, and, and all of these ideas that in some sense <laughs> Web3 has encapsulated are things we've been talking about for a very long time. Um, and so I'm very, very keen to see where, where, where no, this, 100%. you know, 100%. the story also, unfolds. Fun fact, um, I named it Maduna because that mm. was Wednesday's alias. So, um, I never knew him as Maduna, but on his Instagram handle, mm. it was Maduna Mgeyane. So I just thought, yo, Maduna is actually pretty cool. Maduna is a cool name. So I just kind of named mm. this whole Web3 ecosystem after him. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, I think and we I guess... are sort of heading to the closing ahead, part. Alvi, do you still have a question that you want to ask? Um, I was going to just ask the, the, the closing question from our previous go guest. But uh, do you want to maybe take <laughs> a moment? I'm hella nervous with this. <laughs> no, go for it. Okay. okay. So, okay. oh no, it's super chill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so one, of, one a... of the segments that we have um, at the end of the show is just to share a, a question from a previous guest um, and kind of get your thoughts on it. There are no right or wrong answers. It's really just about your perspective. And so our last guest... Um, um, Andrea Zambardi, who is a, a designer, the found he founded a a, a design agency, and he specialises okay. in, in print and uh, magazines. 
And so his question was, what do you think about um, of the technocrats, the Bezoses, the Zuckerbergs, the Musks, and the Phew. amount of power and influence that they have? Phew. That is a loaded question. <laughs> loaded, that is a question. loaded question. Um, wow. So it's so crazy, you know, Wednesday. When, so sorry, yeah, just to talk about Wednesday again. Like, Wednesday is the one who kind of like made me realize the kind of power that those individuals actually have. You know what I mean? Before you kind of look, look at them like, oh, this is like a celebrity business person, you know? But then you start to actually like, once you get into it and once you start actually building your own platforms in your own business, that those they be, essentially become like your your idols in a sense, right? Because you want to kind of replicate their success and you kind of want to, um, you know, uh, all of their, you know, content with, with their lessons learned. You want to learn their lessons and you want to kind of like, like, you know, apply it to your own business and stuff. But um, what do I think of them? I think they are incredibly powerful in many different ways. Um, I think it's just so freaking crazy how like we're just trying to build an NFT marketplace but these guys are like thinking, how do we colonize Mars? Like we are on two different, we're thinking about two different, like, you know, two different worlds here. You know what I mean? And that they like, uh, it lit- yeah, it's so crazy. Literally. And um, it's so interesting because Elon was like the first person to be like, cool, space exploration. We're going to go to Mars. We're going to colonize Mars. And then you start to see. Other, you know, Be- Bezos as well, the, he also has his own, you know, SpaceX. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then we also, uh, what's it, Richard, Bran- yeah. Richard Branson, right? He also has his own thing, you know? And that they just makes me realize that, like, mm-hmm. yo, dude, like, we need, like, whatever we're building, like, is that our trajectory as well? Like, if Maduna becomes this massive thing, well, I start thinking to myself, oh man, the problems that I'm solving mm-hmm. here on Earth are just too small for me. Let me kind of just move on to thinking about Mars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So with that kind of power, um, carries a great deal of responsibility yeah. and a great deal of pressure, I'm guessing. Um, so yeah, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like for me, I just think that they're in a, a whole different league of thinking right now. And um, I can't even, you know, <laughs> like... I can't even think about, you know, colonizing Mars right now when I'm just trying to just lift off, just get my business off the ground just a little bit, mm-hmm. let alone have my own. Yeah. yeah. Next thing, you know, yes. but so who knows? Like maybe that's like the, I'm starting to think that's the natural trajectory of um, entrepreneurship thinking right now, you know, in a weird way. Like, like I said, like the problems we're solving here on earth mm-hmm. seem a bit too small. And then we want to move on to conquering bigger things, you know? Um, so who knows, man, maybe like flipping, mm-hmm. I'll have my own Maduna X one day, you know, and then we will colonize, I don't know, freaking Jupiter or Neptune or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Impossible, but yeah, we'll, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pick a more pleasant exactly. planet. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how like Elon has gone from thinking about making electric Amazing. cars and, you know, um, Starlink, the whole Wi-Fi thing, and then the whole Neuralink thingy um, or Neurochip, whatever it's called, um, to now making humanity um, a multi-planet species. That's just wild to me, you know? <laughs> it's just crazy, bro. It's super crazy. It's crazy. Um, it definitely makes me yeah. feel small as an entrepreneur, you know? It makes me feel like... Mm. But um, it's good to <laughs> also see how they're doing things. And kind of um, 
um, apply their thing, mm. thinking and their things into what we're doing, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know if I answered that question. It's a very loaded mm-hmm. question, but yeah, it's super crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's perfect. It, it is a loaded question. Okay, I'll wait. And I think you did, <laughs> you did good. Um, but maybe before... Before before we call it a day, Chaz, if people are interested in hearing more about what you're doing, they're interested in, um, in connecting um, with you. You can catch where, me where will they find you, you know, um, on Instagram, um, chazdun.io. Uh, you can follow me there. Just DM me. And if you do want to chat, um, my WhatsApp line, my local WhatsApp number is open to absolutely everyone who wants to chat or learn about Web3 or NFTs. So um, also, if you are interested, um, I do have a Telegram community as well. Uh, so you can also hit me up and just ask for the link to that. Um, I think for the most part, we were very active with our community in the in the first half of this year. But now that I'm kind of in the space of building this NFT marketplace, I've kind of put that a little bit on ice. But big plans for 2023 for Blockchain Bags Academy. So, um, And we have a free channel. Um, it's completely free. So if you do want to be mm-hmm. part of that, yeah, just hit me up on the DMs and... Um, yeah, and then also if you want my private WhatsApp number, you can I'll also give that to you and we can kind of chat further about anything that you want to know about this space. Yeah. Amazing. Chaz, thank you very much for your time um, and being able to share this story. I know there's some parts a little bit more difficult than others, but I think the story no, is what you makes guys. us. Appreciate you. And so thank you for your time. You guys are doing and pushing. Yeah, I think it was also it was also quite special for me, considering I've heard quite a bit about you as well, and you're so close to all of these uh, awesome. life stories. No, thank as well. you, Steph. So thank Appreciate you. you. And to everybody listening, thank you for your time, and have a good day further. See you guys soon.